You're listening to a special episode of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. No regular meeting this week because the Bureau is on holiday. Aiden has gone fishing with Morgbot and the Leopard and the Weeping Tile. I had planned to go on a climbing expedition into the air conditioning vents, but then the reports for the July 6th Executive Committee meeting dropped, and they were significant to say the least. Three major reports were bundled into this meeting. The first was a recommendation to build a replacement for the Brandt Center. The committee that drafted the report recommended that the arena be built downtown instead of in the real district or the yards, but the exact site they recommended is being kept confidential at this time. The second report makes recommendations about building a new aquatic center to replace the Lawson, and the final report was a needs assessment for baseball facilities in the city. No surprise to anyone, when you poll baseball players and fans, they report that we need new baseball facilities. Also discussed at that July 6th Executive Committee meeting is the need for a new soccer facility, and that cricket and pickleball could also use some love. Needless to say, if all these projects were to come to fruition as they were proposed at Executive Committee, it would cost the city upwards of $350 million or more. And as much of that work would center in the downtown and core areas of the city, how those projects will interface with things like the Downtown Neighborhood Plan and the Moribund Regina Revitalization Initiative are open questions. So I cut my ductwork spelunking short and got in touch with Tim Reed, CEO of Regina Exhibition Association Limited, as he seems to be the main driver behind a lot of these proposals, especially the arena proposal, and his team had also been involved directly with the baseball needs assessment. We spoke over the phone the morning of July 7th, 2022. What you're about to hear is a very lightly edited recording of our conversation. I got in last night and I stayed up late and watched that executive committee meeting from Wednesday. Now, I watched it on double speed, so I don't know that I caught absolutely every nuance and detail of what went on there, but... Um, yeah, I've, I've got a bunch of questions still for you. You want me to give you my Cole's notes of it and you can see if it compares with what you, what you watch? Sure. That would be really helpful. Thanks. So, um, a a bit of a strange format and, and so uh, nothing that I'd ever experienced before where we presented the arena report, um, there was no questions. Uh, the, all questions were held, actually. The Aquatic Center presented their report. You know, you've seen ours, which was, yeah. hey, five sites. We think it should go on one for a bunch of different reasons. And ultimately, we're answering your question about what to do with the Brand Center. We're not suggesting that you should spend $100 million bucks today, but you should start getting it on the radar that at some point we're probably going to need to replace the Brand Center. The Aquatics presentation came forward. Um, you know, Cole's notes on that that I took away was uh, there's a need for two, they were recommending two 50-meter tanks, a fairly large leisure area. Overall, uh, the survey and the engagement process, the public wanted everything, which made it become a very large facility um, that was almost 300,000 square feet and $100 million in capital. Um they did some operational analysis of it, and I think they said it was $5.1 or $5.6 million in operating uh, investment on an annual basis. So 40% cost recovery is what they modeled it at. It's the same that the Lawson is today. Right. Um, about $3.1 annually in annual maintenance. So, you know, big building, big cost, lots of investment going forward. But they also highlighted the fact that likely the aquatic center at the U of R is the end of life. And to be honest, most of our aquatic centers in the city were kind of end of life so that was um that was that presentation then um then we presented the baseball piece which was at a different pay- place because it was a needs assessment not a feasibility and essentially said you know we we think there's a need maybe not for well not, actually not for what the red hawk the red Sox had been showing but there is a need for a synthetic field that meets the needs of recreational users and to be honest as a city you have a gazillion diamonds and and most of them are in, are, are in pretty rough shape yeah so, you know try to try to invest more in the recreational side of it um then we all got pulled back to do uh there was a couple delegations uh, basically as you know one of the swim coaches and or i would say the swim coach and then you know an active user group that all said hey we desperately need a new aquatic center yeah um questions kind of went around the table um uh you know a, a handful of questions around the arena and you know probably more questions on aquatics and then i think we just 
ended in this general conversation about everybody's thoughts on connectivity and you know planning and going forward. Uh, Mancinelli made a motion that Tim Reed and Bob Hawkins put together a bit of a committee. I think it's a committee of council, although honestly, I'm not 100% sure. Um, when we're supposed to go back to council with some terms of reference and you know some thoughts on how you build this committee to try to figure out how to prioritize, how to order, and how to pay for these amenities. Okay, perfect. Okay, That's that is what I got out of what I watched very quickly last night at Flash Speed. Yeah, so that, uh, and um, honestly, I I kind of got the sense that the committee was the ability to go, let's do more work on this and let's not make any massive decisions about any of these projects right now, which probably was the right outcome, honestly. Okay, so uh, yeah. I have some I have some prepared questions, but just based on Fire what away. you just said, um, I'm getting the impression that you did not know going into this that Mancinelli was going to make that motion about a committee and that you didn't know that a committee was going to be suggested. No, I didn't. I, I knew something was happening um, because I, I, I'd received just some questions mm-hmm. about um, how the coordination between these projects had happened. Right. And so, you know, one of the tasks we had within the arena report was to was was to go and interview all the various working groups and the catalyst projects, and and I, you know, so I probably had. Oh gosh, I bet every counselor that that asked for feedback, which I would say was half of them, um, just asked about how the projects were being coordinated. Yeah. And there, you know, there seemed to be, and, and we expressed it in the in the report, which was I think we need to do a better job of this. Um, I would say that was the general sentiment. So no, I, I had no, I, I'd never seen the the, the motion. Yeah. Uh, nobody asked me about the motion, but I did get a sense something was coming. Right just in the tone of, of the conversations that, you know, were either had formally or just in some ways that sense of frustration that it wasn't better coordinated, I would say. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, well, I'd like to backtrack from there then to the UMA, the Unanimous Membership Agreement. Uh, I guess that was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, that passed. Uh, I'm kind of curious to know how long were you, how long were you working on the changes to the membership agreement that gave you guys tourism and this enabling legislation so that you could develop property outside of your hundred acres. You know, in, in some ways, Paul, I've been working on our UMA since I arrived here. Wow. Okay. And so it, it probably started under Mayor Fougier. Um, you know, his perspective was actually was was really you know 100 acres of the boundaries for for the regina exhibition association mm-hmm. um i'm not sure that the council's perspective was always that but you know he he was very much supportive of hey that it's built this way for a purpose um my focus at that time was actually on our long-term lease and so over the course of the last couple of years one of the challenges that we always had was we were literally on like three-year lease terms right. for op- which meant that as we were trying to build out some of the commercial developments here, or even, frankly, try to finance things, you know, when you had a three-year lease, it almost became impossible to do. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably my efforts over the last two or three years have been more focused on the uh, amendment of our lease, which was done last year. Um, this discussion probably came up early in the new year, at a planning session that was hosted amongst a whole bunch of the municipal corporations. And so Real was there, and EDR was there, and the bids were there, and the city was there, and council members were there, and it was a, a general discussion around, honestly, how do we get better at our business? Right. And, um, you know, how do we stop competing amongst ourselves? And, you know, one of the, the big takeaways, I think, I would say a revelation that came out of that is if you look at most of the municipal corporations that we have, they're, they're all incredibly small mm-hmm. and, and frankly, you know, likely underfunded is probably fair language. Um, we're, we're constantly struggling with budget, right. you know, real, um, you know, is, is, is a big agency. Um, I don't want to say that we don't constantly struggle with budget, especially these times. It's probably worse than ever. But, you know, we at least have capacity to, to do things. And so 
you know, part of the discussion that that we bumped into was, and it started around tourism. And I'll, I'll give you the exact, the, you know, the precise example that was used was um, the meeting was hosted at Real in the AGT, and we looked out the window, and the Cooperator Center parking lot was full. And you know, I asked the bids. I said, like, what are we doing to connect these people with local businesses? On my side, I've kind of done my job. The hockey rinks are full, and there's 60 hockey teams in Regina playing, and hotels are busy. And but are we? What are we? How are we connecting them with the local economy? And and honestly, I think we recognize we weren't doing a very good job of it. Um, and so, ultimately, I think the discussion started on: Is there a better approach and alignment? And I, I think a piece of that was: You know, can we lever real to do more, perhaps? In the city, and one of the other examples that came up was a discussion around some of the work that Judith does downtown, and yeah. well, they rent fences and stages. And I said, honestly, why would we rent some of that stuff when it's sitting in the basement of the Brand Center, and we just have to figure out how to get it to you? Right, right. Okay, so, sorry, go. So I would say, you know, it probably started, um, you know, January or February. I, I think is when that that happened, and um, and then honestly. Uh, the there was a discussion with EDR's board, I, and I don't honestly know how it went from a, you know, from that to, to where it did. EDR's board uh, had a meeting where the mayor and the city manor, manager proposed some changes. I understand it, um, and about a month later, we had a board meeting, and uh, the mayor and the city manager joined at that board meeting and suggested that there was a desire to move the UMA. Our board took a position on it, which was candidly you're the owner and whatever you'd like us to do we'll do um but recognize that it shouldn't distract from the base operations of real and it shouldn't be financially detrimental to the base operations of real right um okay so you the specific discussions about the uma started at the beginning of this year but you kind of had it in your head that this is sort of the direction you wanted real to go before that yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure that I've got yeah. what, what you said correctly. Yeah, no, so the specific discussion started this year. I don't know that we ever were actively chasing stepping off campus, to be honest. Yeah. I think we were looking for a long-term lease, which we were able to achieve. Um, but I think the UMA is something that we always revisit as a, as a board, just to make sure it makes sense. So I don't know. Uh, what I can say is our board never had a direction that was, let's expand beyond our 100 acres. It was at the request of council. Okay, because like the reason I'm asking about this, because I'm also kind of curious about when this idea of moving uh, Brant Center into downtown sort of came about, is because it was like, I, I feel like we're playing this game where I was asking when the UMA report came out from of administration, uh, you know, what is this being done for? Do you have a plan for real to move outside of its uh, campus? And I was told, no, this is just an enabling legislation in the event the council decides that something has come up that we need real to do. And then, like, literally a week later, we get um, we get that report about uh, yeah, I, about I, the stadium. So, like, when when was that decision made of the community? The, the uh, the uh, to put the arena downtown. Yeah, um, it was made June sixteenth. Okay, was when when the board of directors made it. So, and and Paul, I'm not sure that I would suggest that those were absolutely decoupled. It, you know, I I don't um, you know my feeling of it, and and I'll speak. I mean, I always speak candidly. One of the challenges that the board of directors had certainly was its mandate was real. Yeah. And so as we went through the arena process, um, I, I can say our board talked often about the fact that, you know, according to our UMA, the only place that we should recommend putting a new arena is is on the real district. Yes. Um, and, and even though as we went through the process, it became, you know, more and more clear to that committee and ultimately to our, our board of directors that, you know, the greatest tax impact would happen in a higher density location than real. And so, you know, I, I think to your point, I, I don't know that they were ever, I, I don't think they were intentionally coordinated, but, but I wouldn't say that they were decoupled. Reality of it is, is if the UMA, if the UMA had not changed, it wouldn't have given real a responsibility to think about a greater city lens. Right. And so ultimately our board probably would have been 
we would have seen a recommendation from the arena committee that says we should put an arena downtown and we would have seen our board of directors say although we agree with that you know our mandate is 100 acres and yeah we can't really recommend it so no i it's candidly yet i i don't know that they were purposefully aligned i think it, i i will say lots through the process i think a whole bunch of conversations and questions came up but if that hadn't changed it would have made the arena recommendation more challenging let me put it that way so with the citywide lens i think our board could make a citywide decision with a 100 acre lens they probably would have made the same decision there just would have been a footnote that says and we're not really allowed to make this decision right okay um cool the i think one of the things that you're going to be facing next uh, and I like I will act here as an avatar for this feeling. Is that this is not the first time that we've had this, uh, you know, multiple mega projects uh, in disparate locations being like lumped, perhaps, you know, unnaturally together into one umbrella project, and that being like the Regina Revitalization Initiative, where we were told yards, Taylor Field Stadium downtown these things are all inextricably interlinked and all we got out of that whole project was a stadium uh i think that people are i think reasonably gun shy of um you know this kind of like grand three what did councillor stevens guess about 340 350 million dollars project that's going to be making a lot of promises again and seems to be supplanting this old set of promises that was made that the council made to the you know the community um I, i guess i'm wondering why should people trust that this project is the right project when we were when we were told in no uncertain terms that the rri was the right project yeah, it's, I think I would start by, I'm going to open by saying, I don't think people should trust that it's the right project. Okay. I think to your comment, the success of any civic development plan is the owners, which are the public, being critical of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's easy for me to walk forward because my job was to recommend where to put an arena. I can show a whole bunch of great pictures of what that arena could look like. But, you know, ultimately, if we don't want it, then... We shouldn't trust it. We shouldn't do those things. Um, I think what I would suggest is I think a plan is always good because it can be debated, it can be discussed, it can be shared, and and honestly, we can figure out how to finance it. These projects require multi-layers of government investment. None of them will happen. Not a single one of them will happen with the municipality itself. And all of them will require some degree of provincial and federal funding uh-huh. to be able to advance. If you think about the federal funding package that probably exists for this type of project, it's generally the ISEP package or what's being known as ISEP. Right. And criteria for submission on those packages are, are really specific. You need a site plan for your proposed development. You need a capital plan. You need an operating plan and you need a utilization model. And so, in my view, if we want to be eligible to go after some of those funds, we actually, we need to advance these initiatives, if we believe their needs and they're feasible, to at least having those four elements, so that, you know, when our, our civic leaders, whether those are municipal or provincial, have conversations federally about investments, which there is a desire to invest in Western Canada federally, we can at least align our options with their values. Yeah. I think we should be critical. I think we should build the plans around all of these. I want to be really careful to say, I don't think we should build all of these. I, I don't know that I could recommend that. I think I would rather recommend, I think we should build a plan for all of it, that we should have a really good discussion about, you know, what the priorities are, right. you know, what, what we can afford, and, and honestly, what pieces of infrastructure we have in the city that are failing first, yeah. because, I mean, part of the unfortunate reality that we face is we have a, we've a, got a lot of expensive buildings that need to be replaced. 
um, and they are all going to need to be replaced at the same time. Yeah. And and I don't know that I'm not sure that we're not a city that doesn't need all of them. Um, I just don't think we can afford all of them today. Right. Um, well, two things on that. First of all, this feels very much like because you're basically saying we have to like build up a plan around uh, if we want to get money from the federal government and the provincial government, if we want to get money from the private sector, or at least get the private sector or other partners excited about this, we have to build up a full plan. This feels a lot like an Olympic um, like an, an Olympic bid where we're going to have to pour I don't know how many, like if, if consultants are involved, we could be talking tens or even $100,000 just to get this plan put together. Uh, with no guarantee at the end that any of this uh, federal or provincial money is going to come or any private investment, like how do we, how do we go, f- how do we go forward? Like how is this like good, a good spend of our money when it's a huge roll of the dice on whether or not any of this is going to turn out to be financially possible? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I think I'd come back to. Uh, all of the projects that are being considered, and if I lump in all the projects that, that I think are in this package, you know, there's a discussion around a new central library that needs to be had. There's yeah. a discussion of replacing the Brandt Center. There's a discussion around an aquatic center. There's a discussion around a baseball facility. There's likely a discussion around a soccer amenity. All of them are going to be required in the next 15 years. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that's an if. I think that's a fact. And, you know, all of them, with the exception of maybe the soccer facility, you know, all of those other amenities are, are nearing end of life, are not delivering the way they need to, and certainly won't accommodate growth in our city. Yeah. I think to your point, if we don't invest in the plan today, hey, then we're going to find ourselves in a place where those facilities are failing. Yeah. And we're going to make terrible, terrible decisions because we're not planned. Right. So. I think to your comment of should we spend $100,000 on consultants to do it, we probably will. In fact, we'll probably do it for every one of these packages. But that investment today will probably allow council and city administration and folks like ourselves to plan over the next decade versus finding ourselves in a position where literally the roof on the aquatic center fails and we have to go buy it tomorrow. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a guy that literally has done this his entire career across Canada, there is nothing worse than being forced to spend $100 million on a short timeline. That's always when you make the wrong decisions. And, Paul, you've probably seen projects in the city where we've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so, that's fair. Yeah. I think, I think this is... I think this is a reasonable planning exercise and it's good investment to make sure that we don't make bad decisions in the future. I think it also lets the public participate in a different fashion because it's not rushed. Yeah. Um, but with an, an Olympic bid, like Olympic bids typically come with a lot of promises. They do. And yeah, they-, they are very expensive and only one city gets wins the bid. And uh, historically the promises of like social benefit that come from these massive recreation program uh, projects that are built in cities rarely live up to the hype like there was a lot of hype on Wednesday about what we could expect. You used this term that is new to me, uh, property tax lift. Um, There was a lot of hype about the amount of uh, economic benefit we could expect from these projects. Like, um, I guess I'm concerned that people are going to uh, be suspicious of that. And also, like... I guess I'm asking, why should we trust you, Mr. Reed? Yeah. Well, so, so Paul, I'm going to start by saying I'm, you know, fundamentally, I'm a person that actually goes, I produce a lot of economic impact assessments. I believe in the folks that do it. I believe in the study. I recognize there's a process and a function and a, and a certification. But I agree with you. You know, every time I write down an economic impact assessment that says we're going to generate X gazillion dollars of GDP, you know, there's a functional piece where I go, does that really happen? Yeah. You know, now, 
I'll flip that around and I'll say, you know, this weekend when Scott Dance Canada is filling the Viterra International Trade Center, gosh, I see a lot more young men and women in kilts in the city of Regina than I've ever seen before. And there's still in hotels and restaurants. And so there, there is a, there's a relationship that I believe happens. You know, if, if you bring people to our community, they spend money. Um, do I believe that the equation that, that, you know, Praxis in this case is used for us or, or other firms is of reasonable Canadian standard without question. Um, and, and I think we should always be cautious with saying, you know, the development of a baseball facility or soccer facility or library is is, is going to create this massive economic lift. We see it sometimes. You know, I, I mean, I'll give you a great example. Coming from the city of Edmonton, you were there last weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the investment that they made into their downtown core, which was so much more than an arena, right? It, yeah. it, it had, a, had a foundational shift in, in the, the economic performance of their downtown. Now, there's consequences to that because, you know, some of their Class A office space moved from Jasper Ave to 4th Avenue. But, you know, you could argue that you could point to, you know, an economic model that based on tax increase that, that was wildly successful. Yeah. Um, I remember driving... Like, I remember driving around the Oilers Arena back in, like, the 1980s and 90s. Yeah. When, uh, you know, that was, like, you know, downtown or downtown adjacent. And the neighborhood around that had not experienced any kind of uh, property tax lift. Like, if it had, it was whatever decades in the past. And it was a no-go zone in a lot of ways for people. Um, I've driven through downtown Regina, or sorry, downtown Edmonton, and I've seen some of that, like, you know, economic investment that came from the the arena. But there were still homeless people on the street. There were still poor people. Um, it's, well, actually, still, it's still early days for all of that investment in downtown to say this has been, you know, a huge benefit to the people of Edmonton. Uh, once once these investments start to get a little old and the new coats of paint start to get a little shabby, like are we like how long standing uh, an economic uplift is this going to be? Well, and actually, I think Paul, what I would say, so as a guy that used to run Northlands. Mm-hmm. Rexall Place. What I would say is, you're 100 right. When when the arena was built at Northlands, um, you know, 118th Ave, right? Yeah. It was a really tough place to be. I mean, it had it had some of the most significant social issues that exist in the city. Okay. Now, I'm going to use Edmonton because I think you know, for your perspective, I, I actually I think it's a great model. You know. I think it's very clear to point to the success of Edmonton. So if you look at the arena and you look south of the arena, you see the new city of Edmonton Tower, the new Stantec Tower, the new developments, you can clearly go, hey, all of this generates this much tax base. It was a win. But to your comment, you go one block north of the arena, literally one block where the mustard seed is. Yeah. And it still has some of the most, it, it is the hub of social issues in the city of Edmonton. Yeah. And and so I think your point is is a really good one. I don't think we can expect these buildings to fix all of our problems. It just they won't. Right. You know, they'll they'll enhance some opportunities and, and they'll actually create other problems. So, you know, I think if you look at Rogers Place the program's two hundred or two hundred and fifty days a year, I mean, literally it's affected a range of a few blocks south. But if you look I mean, they still have the same problems in downtown Edmonton that they had long before Rogers Place existed. So, you know, I'm going to come back to your question. I don't think I would trust anybody about this. Okay. And and uh, and I wouldn't expect anybody to. You know, my job's, my role is to put the best information I possibly can as an ex, you know, as as, as an expert in this field. Yeah. But I I think these are decisions that take the ownership of the public. Because otherwise, we're just going to fight about it for the next 50 years. And these buildings need to be part of our community for 50 years. So, I mean, I, I do think we need the plans. I think those plans need to be openly discussed, um, which is actually one of my frustrations with the way our arena report is, because there's pieces of it that we can't talk about right now. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately, before any of this has to go through, I think the public should be aware of it. I think they should be allowed to debate it. They should be allowed to engage in it. And they should tell council as the eventual owners, what they want and what they don't want. The other piece to it is we have to have the business community 
and the private investment engaged in these discussions. Yeah. Because I think to your comment, as much as the RRI was fantastic, you know, a lot of it was was led by strong leadership at a municipal level. And and that changes. And I think we have to make sure that, you know, ultimately the community and the, the business leadership are invested in those plans because they're going to outlive political cycles and administrative cycles and you know somewhere between the public and and you know the business leaders are the ones that are going to have to carry these plans yeah uh, understood uh again though like i was at the press conferences like this we were told the private investment was coming you know, we build the stadium, the private investment to Philip Taylor Field will come, the private investment to Philip the Yards will come, uh, and this will all lead to, um, you know, the economic rehabilitation of all these areas. Uh, we were told that that buy-in was there, and it didn't. It doesn't seem to have been. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, Paul, you'd have more around that than I can. What I can tell you is through the learning lessons that we've gone through, you know, my belief, and I would say the belief of our committee, is that, you know, we do not believe that the city has an absorption rate that will allow Taylor Field and the yards to progress concurrently. Right. And I think you have to pick one or the other. Okay. I think what I will say is... You know, we best practice would suggest that there is an incremental property tax lift on properties adjacent to cat catalyst facilities. Yeah. So if you put the arena downtown within a one kilometer radius, we do believe that best practice was, would suggest that you're going to see between a three and a 15 percent property tax lift from that investment. Right. We don't think it's 15 like it might have been in Nashville or Edmonton for that matter, we think it's somewhere between three and five. Three and five. Yeah. And okay. so we think way more modest. And honestly, we're just, we're not a big city. Yeah. Um, so I think what I would say to your question on, hey, is it all going to change? And no, it's not. In fact, I think we have to be really wise. We have to be really strategic and we have to be really purposeful. Because I think if we try to do all of this at once, we will likely find ourselves wildly unsuccessful. Um, on that property tax list lift, because that was the one page from your presentation that it felt like the most like a black box to me. Uh, how do you explain what what creates that three to five percent? For sure. So, so actually, the direct it's direct property tax assessment. So essentially, the value of your business goes up because of the investment in the arena. Right. So there's two, there's a scenario one and a scenario two. And this was a bit of a debate with the yeah. committee. Um, you know, scenario one was a, you just draw a circle around where the arena is going to end up. Scenario two was considered that the railway tracks is a hard edge. This was a pretty big debate and it did influence the decision on downtown, perhaps over the yards. And ultimately, if you look at the property values that are assessed commercial and, and residentially, this is simply what happens or what is projected to happen to the value of those properties if you put an arena within that one kilometer radius. Right. So, you know, using downtown, we're using real, you know, the, the total assessed value of real today is, you know, 1.3 million. And it's going to go up by 40K, essentially. Right. Now, if you look down those numbers honestly it's just an exercise in density wherever there's the more density you're going to see more property value assessment and left right well but in, sorry go on sorry in addition to that i think one of the big takeaways that this committee has also recognized and not considering tax you know property valuation lift is for every dollar that's spent on this success should be tracked with the measurement of a dollar of private investment so although private may not be spending on you know on the arena um they should spend around it in the district and what it take from other cities was and, and probably moncton was the one that reaffirmed this like their measurement was dollar for dollar has to happen within a decade and they were there in six years yeah so i think that's on top of the property tax assessment so the tax lift will benefit 
frankly, taxation. But on top of it, you know, if we spend $100 million, we should generate $100 million in private investment directly because of the build of that facility. Right. I would say we should look at a similar model for the aquatic center and for the baseball facility and the soccer facility and, and frankly, really the impact the library can have on the district around it. Right. I think we should think about that. I'm going to come back to your mosaic comment. You know, mosaic Stadium was built, and I don't know that the KFC at the end of the street changed its awnings. How do you mean? Sorry. So, you know, as the operator of Mosaic Stadium, yeah, you know, we invested three hundred fifty million dollars in the, in a piece of civic infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of Elphinstone and Dudney, the KFC didn't change anything. Yeah. You know, you could argue um, some of the commercial development that we're seeing now at Real is because of Mosaic Stadium. I'm not sure it's not because of the entire clustering of assets, but yeah. yeah, I don't. I think if we had built Mosaic Stadium and said it needs to generate a hundred million dollars in private investment, to your point, we would have a much better ability to measure success. Okay. But I think we should do that everywhere. I, I think if we say, hey, we're going to build a stadium, we should put a target. If we're going to build a library, you know. And the targets might be different. It might be not might not be commercial investment, but it could be you know visitations or you know a decrease in, in, in crimes in the downtown core or you know a improvement in you know decrease in homelessness. Like whatever those measurements are, we should just be explicit with them. Right. Well, on those measurements, um, when I looked at the numbers that you provided to the public, because I haven't seen the, the council reports. Uh, it seemed, from the numbers that you provided, 100% clear to me that the arena, you got the best bang for your buck uh, from either putting it on the yards or putting it on real. And I think, like, as far as if, if you want to, like, look at it as, you know, a cash-strapped municipality trying to decide where to put an arena, like, the most affordable option was real, clearly. The only thing that tips it over into the realm of being you know, a more viable plan is that tax lift scenario that you set up. Um, but what I didn't see was like a subtraction of the property that you're going to put this arena on downtown is going to be land that's owned by the city. Presumably this arena is going to be taxed, you know, it's going to be a city facility, so it's not going to be taxed. That's a block of downtown real estate that we're not going to be generating property tax from how is that how is that loss accounted for in your models yeah, that's a great question so what, it, what i can say is um is, so within the model it is netted out in the property tax assessments but you wouldn't have seen the details you're right because you don't the the um practice report isn't public so i can confirm okay. that the net impact of the, the loss of existing paying tenants, for lack of a better term, is netted out in that process. But I, I, I come back to your point. I think um, okay, the, the easiest and cheapest place to build this new facility would, would be at the real district. Yeah. The next easiest would be at the yards. But I really believe that the committee felt that the biggest impact if we're looking to to impact our overall city would be downtown okay when you say the praxis has like worked all this out um i just want to double check yeah when when they were making their calculations were they based off what the property tax base like what the property taxes are currently on the properties that you're looking at or were they were they projecting out to what full build build out would be on that site once you know the the vision of the downtown neighborhood plan is realized, and you know these these surface parking lots, for instance, are are developed, and you know the underutilized land downtown is developed. Or were they strictly looking at downtown as it is now? They were looking at downtown as it is now. So to to your comment, essentially, what they did is they took the existing valuation, they took the the existing you know incremental you know tax lift that we're seeing, yeah. they it out based on working with the city on what they felt taxes would be over the next 40 years right. and then by that way now it didn't it, it, it didn't 
bring forward assumptions based on a frankly a more successful downtown okay, was, <laughs> okay. you know current state going forward um so no it, it didn't consider we we end up one day with the best downtown in, in the country it, it was where we are today kind of plus reasonable tax lift over the next 40 years okay cool um one of the things you've mentioned is how you're not convinced that everything that was like discussed on wednesday can get built or needs to get built um but at the same time another thing that you mentioned on wednesday was uh and this was in your report about the arena is this notion of the trail that runs from uh wiscona park up to downtown to this new this potentially new arena somewhere downtown to the yards past taylor field out to uh the real district and then out to the trail system and this this giant loop one of the things you also talked about is this issue of connectivity between downtown that you've got these a lot of your hotel and parking infrastructure is downtown but you have your stadium at the real district and you don't have this interlink um there was the question of how do you, you can't just build a trail along there because like the taylor field site for instance is one of the I don't, it's one of the least secure places in the city people would feel walking at, at night on their own the on the one hand you're saying that we can't build everything and that we we shouldn't build everything but on the other hand you're saying that if everything doesn't get built in a way, this doesn't work because we don't have that connectivity between all these different sites that, you know, we've, for whatever reason, spread out across this stretch of space, and now we have to bring together. So like, I, I feel like there's a bit of a like a double speak here, and that we can't. We're not going. We're not saying we're going to build all 350 million dollars, but we're also kind of saying if we don't build all 350 million dollars, there's like a reason. There's an excuse for why each of these component parts might fail. Yeah, and you know what, Paul, let me be really specific with that. I don't think we can build all of these things today. Mm -hmm. I, I think over the next 20 years, you will need to build all of these things. Right. And so, and maybe I wasn't clear on this. And, you know, so to, to your point on connectivity, I think one of the takeaways we took through, through this process is we always build these pieces of infrastructure. And somewhere in the budget, is a commitment to, you know, bicycle paths and walking paths and public transit access and parking. And somehow all of that gets lost through the budgeting process. Yeah. It gets dumped into the building. And we end up with beautiful facilities like Mosaic Stadium. And we can argue whether it's great or not, but it's a beautiful building that literally does not have connectivity to, to anywhere in our city beyond, you know, the existing real district. Yeah. You know, it, it, literally doesn't connect beyond Elphinstone, which is the edge of the lot. Yeah. And what what I would say is ultimately I you know the, and I'm gonna speak on behalf of the arena committee. The arena committee felt that if if you look at what's in place today, on the west edge of the city we have this really great walking trail that exists today. Yeah. Let's be more purposeful with it. You know, let's planned stops and engagement areas and learning sites and you know one of the discussions we talked about is as we start moving towards 2050 can that be a walking trail that starts informing the public about you know, it can be a place where students can go to learn about wind energy or solar power or water recapture or, you know create learning nodes on it and places that you know we want to stop as the public but you know recognize it exists today and, and perhaps plan to invest into it Wiscana Park is truly a gem within our city and exists, so let's consider that a node. But if you think about that loop that we've highlighted, you know, that, that run that is Sask Drive and, you know, the run from wherever, you know, vertical street you take from downtown to Wiscana, there's really no planning on it. Yeah. And so our view was when we look at how other cities had built out, essentially every six to 700 meters, they put these activation nodes. So let's say up to a kilometer. Well, if, we, if we have one at real, and the decision is to build uh, a future you know, multi-purpose event center downtown, well, now you've kind of filled into those blanks where real should continue to cluster recreational amenities. So when you build your next two hockey rinks, go build them there. Yep. Continue what you do, make it a hub for recreation. It really does leave the yards and Taylor Field. 
And the recommendation that came from the, the arena committee was, you know, we think that the yards is probably in the best position to advance, and we should focus our attention on that. Yeah. We also have $30 million of federal funds that we have to be able to manage. Yeah. And so the committee felt that we should really explore the idea of, you know, a demonstration sustainable site that uses geothermal energy to heat an aquatic center and to support the residential and commercial units that would build out there. Right. Aquatic center drives about 750,000 visits a year. Was our math, but if you look at the presentation yesterday, it's about 1.2 million visits a year, which is a lot of people. Like that's that's a lot of volume that that, that could act as a strong catalyst for building out that node. Mm. But you need to pull residential in, you need to pull commercial in, and somebody would have to do so. Which likely means that you're not going to get to build out Taylor Field for 10 or 15 years. Right. So we're not going to have that connection to downtown for the Mosaic Stadium, for instance. Well, so part of the feedback that we provided to council um, was we think you should consider and it was in our report yesterday was consider the recreational master plan says you do need synthetic you need a synthetic soccer field and you need likely some better class one baseball amenities if you put those at taylor field it doesn't affect the potential commercial development land but it's lit and it's green and it's active and you could likely put those there until such time as Taylor Field was ready to develop it. Okay. So, okay. so those are I didn't understand that. So that's so the idea of the soccer pitch there is maybe like it's a permanent facility or maybe it's a temporary facility, but it would represent sort of a toehold in the area until yeah. such time as a full build out can happen. And it, exactly. And so the idea around it, Paul, was honestly it's cheaper than landscaping. Right. And you. And um, and we know that they're well activated in the summer months, which is when people will walk from downtown to 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 the real site, or vice versa. You know, I, I use this example. We got Scott dancing this weekend, and you know, we were hosting some folks from Manning and Nova Scotia last night that were in, and and all of them are walking from downtown to real. And I, I don't have the heart to tell them that, but so you know, if you if you activate it with baseball and soccer. And, and I want to be really careful. This isn't for this is for recreational use. Um, we think it's lit at night. We think there's players on it early in the morning and late at night, and there'll be activation those summer, which, frankly, will will give us something that will make it safer and more lit. Um, and we'll start thinking about what happens there, but it won't compete with the commercial uh, investment that's going into the yard site. Cool. Okay. So, so honestly, figure out. And, and you could flip those if you wanted to. We don't know that you should, but, you know, think about the nodes on that SAS drive. And I would suggest we also need to think about how to connect real probably out to the RCMP depot and, you know, the um, some of the heritage centers out there. Right. Right. We have three, I, I think that's the takeaway is, like, we've got a lot of the pieces of this. You just need to connect them. Yeah. Okay, then this is okay. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, I guess where I wanted to go to, I think this is where, kind of where I'm, I'm hoping we can wrap this up because I've taken up a lot of your day already. I appreciate the chat. Um, a lot of the planning ideas that are coming out of this. Uh, so the committee identified five catalyst projects. Um, you identified how those catalyst projects interface with one another or interact with one another around the city. Um, you sort of identified, you know, key sites that, you know, like almost like a phasing of how to develop these things out to get the most benefit. Um, you've looked at it in sort of like a holistic model of how to like, you know, get the most benefit for the community out of this. This is all coming from the um, arena planning, uh, what's it, the ASP, the yep. APSC2. The only people on this board that I'm looking at that I voted for was Sandra Masters. Um, yep. The only people on this board who were, you know, hired by people I voted for would be Kim Onraid. Uh This is this is a board 
the, that has been put together, I'm assuming by you in consultation with Mayor Masters or you, uh, Kim, and Mayor Masters put this board together, you guys have come up with sort of a master plan for downtown and the development of the core of the city that supplants a lot of the planning that a decade of community consultation went into developing and a lot of promises were made to the community around such as um, housing on the Taylor Field site being you know imminent and crucial and you know something that was something that was promised to the community and we were we expected 10 years ago your board has come forward with a whole new plan that supplants all of that um, I'm frankly a little bit alarmed at the amount of sort of influence uh, the, the, this board seems to be having over the direction of the development of the core. Um, how do you how do you respond to my my alarm? Yeah, uh, I'll start. I'll start by saying, you know, so so the arena committee is a is is an administrative committee. So it, it it literally is a committee of my office where we assemble people to help us answer a question that that our board had asked us around what do we do with the brand center. Yeah. Um, as you'll note in the first round of the arena committee our direction was very much how do you build a new arena yeah. it was actually council so to your point those that were elected that said we want you to think about these other amenities okay. and I, I agree with you part of I mean part of it is it brings fresh perspective but it still has to align with the planning tools that are in place now What's interesting about some of the assumptions that are made is when we went looking for the Taylor Field plans, to your point on you know some of the housing models, because I've heard that since I got here, that yeah. around Taylor Field is that it's going to be uh, affordable housing options. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And so what's interesting is some of those pictures of it, which I think made everybody believe that it exists, but from a planning standpoint, it doesn't. Right. And so, and, and I'm, I'm not taking a position on whether we should build affordable housing there or not. It just, if you were to say, hey, what's the plan for Taylor Field? And Paul, maybe you've done this. I don't think you could find it. Yeah. Which, um, which probably is a different challenge in itself. Um, and it, now, I think we answered the question that we were asked to answer. I think council's response yesterday um, I'd like to believe was them saying, hey, we've got some good work that's done by an entity that isn't council. Ultimately, this is a council decision. Let's pull this together as a committee of council. So to your point, so it becomes closer to, you know, civic planning as well as the, the authorities of, you know, city council uh, and come back to us by a year end. So I kind of perceived yesterday's decision as, okay, you know, thanks for the stuff. This is our work. We'd like your expertise at the table, but ultimately this is going to be a committee of council that makes these decisions. Put some folks around the table that are approved by city council with the terms of reference that are approved by city council and come back to us by your end. Right. But I, in some ways, I I think they, they accepted it. I, I think they felt like it was, you know, I, I think no different than the conversation we're having. It's thought-provoking. Um, and I think they're good thoughts to have, but ultimately I see yesterday's motion as council saying, hey, this is our job, and we appreciate you answered the questions that we want you to answer, but now we've got some work to do, and um, we'd like your expertise. We'd like you to share what you've learned, but ultimately this has to be a committee of council, and I, I think they're saying this is who owns this. Okay. When you guys, when the, the Arena Planning Committee was uh, doing its work, one of the things that was discussed during the, the UMA discussion, the UMA, yeah. was that, you know, you are a, you know, a wholly owned uh, municipal corporation, and there was like this commitment made that whatever whatever planning you were doing uh, in terms of land development, the the full resources of the city's planning department would be you know at your disposal. When the uh, arena planning committee was making these decisions, or not decisions, but making these recommendations or building out these uh, these these planned recommendations. Uh, did you guys 
avail yourself of city planners to see how these things interface with what they're doing. Yeah. And, and so what I would start by saying is we actually met with uh, all of the, the planning teams of all of the projects that, that may be impacted around this. Mm-hmm. And so sent it to our, our board and then we met with them on priorities that they had. Before this was released, um, you know, once the plan was endorsed by the committee, but before it was asked for, for approval, um, we actually met with the entire planning team at the city to see if, honestly, there was any rates in the grass that we were proposing. Okay. Um, you know, I, I would say that in general sentiment was all of the ideas were worth considering. I don't think anybody was saying they're perfect or these these are the right answers, but we did meet with the entire planning team. Uh, we with the senior leadership team at the city. And so, you know, I would say long before this was actually endorsed by the committee or our board of directors were presented to council, you know, we met with the planning team, we met with each of the stakeholder groups that presented to us to tell them what our thoughts were. And we met with the, uh, the executive team at the city to say, you know, this is what we intend to present. Um, do you see any red flags in it? And I think the general sense was, you know, we're not agreeing to it, but we think it's it's worthy of a presentation and future discussion. So it wasn't a surprise then to city administration when you guys released nope. this report? Nope, they've seen it all. Okay, cool. Uh, Councillor Stevens flagged this during the meeting yesterday. Um, I don't think it's any secret if you look at the report. There are people on this planning commission, the committee, sorry, who have a financial stake in the development of downtown. Um, this this uh, recommendation, which council seems to be quite, uh, you know, um, happy with to put an arena downtown, impacts the financial position of some of those stakeholders in downtown. This their participation in this committee and the making of this recommendation seems to provide them with uh, sort of like an insider trading style advantage uh, with regards to their own investments in downtown. Uh, Was this concern considered by the committee as this work was being done and what precautions were taken to prevent anybody from taking undue advantage of this process? Yeah, yeah, I I think I'd start, Paul, by saying in, in some way, every single person that was asked to join the committee had a bias. And so if you, if you work through the members of, of the committee, you know, it, it was purposefully set up to bring people that would have competing priorities. And so, you know, Jordy, I don't know if you know Jordy, but, you know, he wants nothing more than a new development next to the keg. And I'm sure yeah. to your point, and Hill wants nothing more than a new arena downtown. And, you know, Jason Carlson probably wants something in the warehouse district that will benefit dream developments. And, and so in some ways, I think we purposely set this up so that there would be some natural conflict. We also set this up that there wasn't enough votes by any one piece of the city to be able to, to you know, direct the decision of the overall committee. Yeah, yeah I think Councillor Stevens' comment was a good one. And... When I tried to respond to him by saying yesterday, because his question was actually more a matter of, are the people that need to invest privately prepared to do so? Yeah. And you know, my belief is based on the recommendation that those people accepted. They know that if there was to be a development downtown, there would be the expectation that those with downtown investments continue to invest. Yeah. And so, you know, I think I'd start by saying the committee was actually built to have some friction um, and to assemble people that were going to be very purposeful and, hey, build this in my backyard because it benefits me. Right. But, I mean, this is kind of turning on its head the way that municipal procurement typically works, where those conflicts are avoided and structures are put in place to prevent them. Because, I mean, if you had invited me to be on the board, I might have been spending the last, like, year trying to buy up, like, say, the Wonderland site or something like that. Like, this, like, does this... Does this committee that you've put together, does it pass muster from sort of an ethics standpoint? Yeah, we think it does. I mean, um, 
everybody would have signed a conflict of interest document. Everybody would have signed. And in some ways, I think it's probably kept people from taking land actions going forward. You know, I think if you were to go look at the land transactions that have occurred in our city, I don't think you'll see any of them with any of the names of this list that have been opportune. Um, and, and so, you know, at some point, you have to engage those people that are going to invest the most significantly in these discussions, because honestly, they're the ones that have to be there in the future. But, you know, I, I think what we tried to manage was that there was never, you know, there was never a gathering of people that could sway the decision of the committee. And, and what I will say is, I never thought that we would get a unanimous decision of this committee. It, it, it happened quickly. It happened purposefully, and you know what I would say is I think um, that I, I think that was even a surprise to me. Right. So um, to, to have everybody with their unique opinions say, "Hey, we should put this in a downtown location," um, landed on that. So to your point, I think each of them have a conflict of interest position that they've had to sign. They've had an NDA that they've had to sign. Um, and, and honestly, we're not looking to do anything other than recommend to council that. Hey, you should think about a new downtown arena. Yeah. Do you following that? A full public trans, you know, a full public procurement process will have to happen. You know, architects and engineers and designers and contractors and I mean, there's there's years worth of work that has to happen, even if you know this plan is endorsed. Sure, but we already saw with the discussions around the Burns Hanley Building and how that site, uh, the heritage designation that was proposed for it, and how that site's going to be developed, we saw Harvard Diversified uh, coyly sort of teasing during their presentations that there are economic opportunities imminent downtown that will make the development of their lot uh, more feasible and that you know they even they even mentioned that it would be a good site for residential or a boutique hotel this site that's sat you know unused since the 90s um so clearly people who are on this committee are starting to think about how thinking about how to make uh, to derive benefit from the recommendation that came out of this committee well i I would actually say i hope it you know, as of yesterday, when everything became public, to to uh, you know anybody that's in the development sphere, Paul would be wise enough to go say this is the this is where I can assemble four parcels of land. Right. You know, I don't think it is yeah. anybody that wanted to figure that out. I think could, and I'm sure you could do the same. Ultimately, this is about inspiring private investment around it. So, you know, my hope would be not only the members of the committee, but the members that weren't on the committee. You know, are are trying to figure out how they prepare for investment in downtown so right you know, the people on the committee have gotten a head start on everybody else who you know potentially lives within you know one two block radius of this development yeah i i mean that would be that would be presu- presuming that they've they've acted on a head start and i can't see anything i can't see anybody on our committee buying a bunch of land or positioning differently than they than they always have that being said as of yesterday i think anybody that wants to build a downtown has kind of equal rights to information. Um, and so I, I appreciate the concern. I haven't seen anything that would be a conflict. I think in any case where there is a member that has a, you know, a, honestly a specific interest, um, it's offset by the fact that there's another member with a competing interest on the committee. So um, I think the nice thing about what council decided yesterday is, you know, they're going to take another look at this. It'll be a committee of council. Council will get to decide who sits on it, and ultimately they could decide they want the arena to go somewhere else or the pool to go somewhere else. But at some point, we do want to inspire private investment around these things. We have to, and which means we have to engage the private sector. Okay. Okay, cool. I have taken up so much of your day already, Um, but I have one last question. Ask away. The, the recommended location, downtown location number five. Yeah. Probably can't answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Is it... At this point, I provided Tim Reed with my best guess as to where I thought the Brant Center replacement would fit downtown. And Tim responded that I was completely wrong. Damn! I thought I was so clever. No. <laughs> oh, it's a good thought. And, and no, it is... Uh... So I would say it falls within kind of the radius of one of the sites, but no, it's not. Okay. And when you see it, you'll probably pick up on it right away. Okay. When do we get to see it? I don't know. 
I don't know, but my hope would be that by October. I, I, so, I, I mean, I'll speak. This would be my personal perspective because yeah. I actually would much rather be transparent with these things and let people beat it up all they need to to get some good advice on it. Right. My hope is that if this catalyst committee does the work that it's supposed to, my hope would be that we have something that is available for public consumption and discussion by you know the end of this year. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we start to, to your point, as we start to rebuild the planning document that was a decade old and pre-pandemic, that uh, we can get everybody to buy into it. And so I, I would hope by year end we can come out and say, hey, this is this is where all the things should go. And, you know, this is the sequencing and this is the timeline. And, and I think it's a 20-year lens, not, not a two-year lens. Okay. Excellent. Great. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate the chat. Thanks very much to Tim Reed of Reels for taking an hour out of his morning to speak with me. The reports on the Brant Centre replacement, the aquatic facility, and baseball go to Regina City Council on July 13, 2022. The Queen City Improvement Bureau will return next week. I have been your host, Paul DeShane. Keep on improving, Regina. Regina.